pleased that God takes good care of us, and one of the primary ways is just having his word. I mean, just try to imagine trying to follow after the Lord without the word of the Lord. And so we're going to read that today, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 6, page 150, if you're using the Blue Bible, and Luke chapter 6, page 863, if you're using uh, the Blue Bible. And it's always helpful to have your Bibles open, and I want us to uh, look at Luke 6 as we begin because this is where I, I actually got the title to this sermon series, Built to Last. If you look with me in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, probably in your Bible there's a little heading or a title that says, Build Your House on the Rock. And so this is this pretty well-known parable that Jesus delivers. And he's delivering it to people who are hypocrites or posers. People who have the bracelets on, you know, that say, say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But then they have a little hyphen, and it's B-I-D-D-I, but I don't do it. I mean, I, I, I hear, I know what Jesus would do because I hear it, but I don't actually do it. That's the person he's addressing in Luke chapter 6. And what I'm trying to do here in this whole series is to, to build people who are going to last. So look at the beginning of uh, this little passage, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? See, this is the, pe the people that he is addressing. And these are the verses that we're going to try to memorize in verse 46 or verse, verse 47. He says, he is like a man building a house who dug, a deep, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose... The stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Well built. Eugene Peterson says they're built to last. The, the person who hears and does, they're like the well built house. The person who just hears but doesn't do, it turns out in verse 49, is the one who builds his house on the sand or builds his house on not a solid foundation. So when the floods of life, the floods of the culture, the floods of circumstances come against you then, you, then you fall apart. So when the powerful floods in our lives come against us, when cultural circumstances move against our faith and break against us, my hope is that we will not be shaken. We're going to be the house that built its foundation on Christ, that we were actually built to last. That's the goal. So I want to now turn back to Luke chapter 4, which is going to be our starting point in this series. Luke chapter 4. And you immediately recognize uh, straight away that Jesus is facing a flood. Probably, again, your title there is Jesus and temptation or the temptation of Jesus. Jesus is facing this flood against his faith. Just prior to his public ministry, Jesus has this 40 days of wilderness. And it's always important just to note, everyone on their way home to Jesus goes through the wilderness. Even Jesus 
goes through the wilderness. Every life goes through the wilderness. And here Jesus is in this 40-day trial, which we're going to look at in greater detail next week. But we observe right away that Jesus is resisting the flood of temptations, not by some sort of miraculous power. Every time he, he resists these three temptations that Satan gives to him in the wilderness, turn these stones into bread, uh, jump off this tabernacle so people can think you're spectacular, all these kinds of temptations, Jesus answers by quoting the Word of God. He does something you and I have the capacity to do. He doesn't walk on the water. He doesn't do anything that you'd say, well, that's, that's Jesus. That's a display of his power and glory, but I don't have that. No, he actually does something that you and I can do, and he quotes every time from the book of Deuteronomy which is interesting. And Deuteronomy means repetition of the law. So this is what happened to Jesus. He's about 30 years old at this point in his life, and he's going to have this three-year adventure of ministry. And for his whole childhood and young adult, he had been digesting the law. He'd been memorizing the law. He'd been repeated the law to himself from his family and just his own study. And now at this point of temptation, he's going to repeat the law back out. It's going to be his shield of faith. It's going to help him resist the flood that's coming against him at this particular point. So this morning, in sort of a prelude to Luke chapter 4, I want to go back to Deuteronomy, back to where the hearing and doing really began. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and look at the first few verses there. And we'll read several different verses here. Let's begin with chapter 5. Verses 1 through 6. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them, and notice what it says, and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. This is Sinai. This is where they had the first uh, communication of the Ten Commandments. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all, all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. While I stood, Moses, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. And he said, this is God speaking. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then in verse 7, we have a repetition of the Ten Commandments. Then let's look at verse 26. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived. So they're standing there, they've heard the voice of the Lord, and they're saying, who's, who's ever stood before the Lord and heard his voice and ended up living? Go near, they're saying now to Moses, go near and hear that the, all that the Lord your God will say and speak to us, all that the Lord your God will say, and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you, Moses. They are right in all that they have said. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Go, 
Go and say to them, return to your tents. But you, Moses, you stand here by me, and I will tell you the commandments and the statutes. Then let's look at one more passage, chapter 6, 1 through 5. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules the Lord your God has commanded me, Moses, to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going, and that you may fear the Lord your God, your son, and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Let's pray. Lord, as we hear these words, we all have that capacity. But it's difficult to do. And we all need your help. We, we need your encouragement. We need your empowerment. We need greater trust in your word versus our word or someone else's word. So would you open our ears to hear and open up our heart, our hands, our feet to follow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to give you a little bit of background here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Because Deuteronomy chapter 5 is actually like a reenactment of a wedding ceremony. That's what you're supposed to think of when you get to Deuteronomy 5. Think of, maybe you've seen this or you've been involved with this, of a couple that's been married 50 or 60 years. And they want to have a little reenactment of their wedding. Just to say, hey, you know, we made these vows and we made all these commitments 40 years ago or 50 years ago. And we just want to say, hey, we, we've been, we've, in, uh, we've, by God's grace, we've kept these and we want to keep them to the very end. And so it's such a sweet sort of memory of what happened so long ago. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's 40 years later from the first wedding ceremony. The Israelites had left Exodus. They come to the mountain, I mean, left uh, Egypt. They come to the mountain of Mount Sinai. That's Exodus 19. Now we've had 40 years in the desert, and they're just about ready to go to the promised land. And just before they go to the promised land, and Moses isn't going to go with them, he says, okay, guys, let's remember what we all agreed to 40 years ago. Some of you weren't even alive, but your parents were alive. Some of you heard the voice of the Lord as a a young child. Now, as you go into the promised land, don't forget about the Lord. Remember the covenant. Remember the vows that we have made to each other. And I want to pick up on three things here in this passage that I think can help us, especially in terms of hearing and doing. First, the order of operations. Second, obedience. And third, our need for a mediator. Order of operations, obedience, and our need for a mediator. Order of operations. Does that sound familiar? Some of you are like, okay. Something about that when I was growing up in math. You know, you just kind of, you got to shake off those cobwebs. You remember the order of operations. I don't know what grade you learned this in, maybe fifth grade or sixth grade, I can't remember. But it's when you have sort of a long math equation. Some of you are like, okay, you're losing me right now, preacher. <clears throat> but you remember you have a long math equation. It has a bunch of different things you got to do. you got to subtract. you got to add. You do multiplica- multiplication. you got an exponent. you got parentheses. And, and you can't just do it from beginning to end. There's a certain order of operations. How many of you will remember the little acronym? Please... Remember this? Please excuse 
My dear, um, come on. I mean, you guys were bad on the SAT. I can tell it already. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, right? So parentheses, exponents, you know, multiplication, division, all that stuff. You put them in this equation. You're saying, here's the order of operation. This is the way I, I do this. I would say there's an order of operations that you have to follow in a math equation to get a right answer. There's an order of operations in understanding how, the God, how God works to come out with the right answer. If you don't come out, if you don't do the right order of operations, then you're going to gum up your relationship with the Lord. And you see the order here in chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 7 and following. Now here are the commands of the Lord. The very first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 6, I am the Lord your God. This is the very first order of operation, you might say. This is like the parentheses around the equation of our life of faith, that the Lord is our God. And my question there is, so what makes the Lord our God? This is a statement, the Lord is our God, but what makes the Lord our God? How would you answer that question? We read it, we say it, but what makes the Lord our God? See, if you don't get the answer to this question right, you're going to really gum up your relationship with the Lord. The answer is the love of God. The love of God is what makes the Lord our God. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, which is probably just one page over from where you are, and look with me in verse 6. For you are the people, holy to the Lord your God. So this is God saying to this people, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Wish I could unpack that. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured, you're a treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now why? Verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you. Just need to circle that. The Lord loves you. It's not because of anything grand you are. It's not because you're the biggest or the most powerful or the most obedient. God somehow has just chosen you. You're a treasured possession, and he loves you. So we say, the Lord, the Lord, he is our God. Why? Because he loves me. That's the very first order of operation. And I wonder if you really believe that, that the Lord is your God because he loves you. The Lord loves you. The Lord is passionate about you. The Lord is coming to you like a lover comes for the object of his love, the beloved. Or is your relationship more transactional? Well, if I do the right things, I hope he likes me. Is that sort of how you mentally operate? Is your order of operations, well... If I kind of do the right things, if I get verse 7, 
And beyond the Ten Commandments, I get like eight out of ten. At least that's a B. And he kind of loves me like a B. But if I got ten out of ten this week, then he kind of loves me like an A student. Is that how we sort of think? See, that, that's going to gum up your relationship with God if that's how you think. The order of operations is that God, apart from anything else, he loves you. Brennan Manning, some of you might know this name, is a Christian writer and speaker, passed away maybe 10 years ago, wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel and several other books. And I got a chance to hear him a few times before he passed away. Maybe that would be obvious. I wouldn't have heard from him a few times after he passed away. <clears throat> this is the kind of thing that I would say to myself if I'm listening to this preacher. Like, well, how else could you hear him? <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so I got a chance to, to hear him several times. And most, most people say preachers only have one sermon. And no matter where they are in the Bible, they basically say the same thing over and over again. And Brennan Manning's was the love of God. He just was overwhelmed by the, the, just the absolute love of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I just, I, or 5. I just can't believe the love of God. He was just stunned by that. And he would say something like this, and I heard him say this, Jesus is coming at this moment right now to your seat. He's saying, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, and your inconsistent discipleship. And my word for you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are, not as you should be. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are. No change necessary, not as you should be. Because you're never, Brennan would say, you're never going to be as you should be. But so many of us are living like just as I should be. Like as soon as I step into what I should be, well, then really God's going to love me. And we've got our order of operations out of line. And we've gummed up our relationship with Christ. Do you trust that God loves you just as you are. Like if we're going to physically meet God this morning, and as soon as you walk through those doors, he was here, what image do you have of the Lord meeting you this morning? Well, he's a little late. I saw what he was doing yesterday. He hadn't been here in three weeks. I mean, what, what is it? Or is it a lover who's like, oh my gosh, look who just walked in. It's Paul Phillips. And he runs and says, I, I've been waiting for you. You're the object of my love. It doesn't have anything to do with anything else, just my love for you. Do you really trust that? See, that's the first order of operation. Then notice, God reminds them what his love has actually caused him to do. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. God's 
mission, God's rescue, was proof of his love. He didn't just say it. He's saying, remember, I love you, and I did this thing. I, I brought you out of your sin. I brought you out of your slavery. It's not something you, you brought yourself to. No, I came and rescued you. And consider for a moment what it would have been like if God decided to skip verse 6. If instead he just says, okay, here we are to do this wedding renewal, and he doesn't say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He just ver goes right into verse 7. Okay, we're here, and let's repeat our vows. Let's just talk about the Ten Commandments. I think if he had skipped verse 6, we would have been tempted to believe that God loves us because of the law, not because of his love. If I obey, then God rescues me. That's maybe what we would think. But we know from this stunning verse, God rescues before we ever obey. That's the gospel. God rescues before you ever obey. I dare you to trust that God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. Now, now once that gets digested, gets all the way down in your soul, then you can do the next thing. You can do the next order of operation. But you're going to have to come back to that first order again and again. It's not something you get and then you're done. You've got to keep reminding yourself, God loves me. God, I don't know, understand why he's passionately crazy for me. Not because of anything that I did this week, but just because of his love for me. The next order of operation then is obedience. And you see it all the way through this text, chapter 5, verse 1, verse 27, chapter 5, verse 32, chapter 6, which I just want us to look at here. Now, this is the commandment Moses is saying, the statutes, the rules that the Lord his God has commanded me to teach you that you may do them. Verse 1, verse 3, hear, O Israel, hear and be careful to do them. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall do something. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, you've been rescued by God's grace. Yes, you've been brought into a marriage covenant relationship with God. Yes, God is going to get you all the way home as we sung this morning. And yes, God demands obedience. Yes, to all of those things. Grace is the first order of operation, but it doesn't somehow like cancel out obedience. You can't just say, well, I got the first order and then everything else I don't have to do. No, you still have to do the exponent, the multiplication, the division, the subtraction, the addition. You have to keep doing all those things. Dallas Willard, I love how he says this, grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. You see this all over the Bible. Jesus says it in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. James chapter 1, the first uh, pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Be doers of the word, not, you know it, hearers only. Nothing could be more obvious that we are to hear and do. And yet doing is difficult. Doing is difficult. Just turn to the person to your right and left and say, hey, you know what? Doing is difficult. Doing is difficult. This isn't a newsflash. You know this. 
The doing is difficult. You can hear, but somehow between the hearing and your hands, something, there's a break. There's some kind of like, well, I know it, but somehow I didn't get out of my mouth right or get out of my hands right or get out of my feet right. Somehow it's difficult. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 29, we will hear and do it, they say. And then God goes on to say, oh, that they had such a mind as this always. In other words, they're all in right now, but I know them. They're going to walk out of Christ Community Church after such a wonderful, passionate, powerful sermon. And they're going to say, that's right, and I just know them. By this afternoon or tomorrow, Something's going to happen between the hearing and the doing. Oh, I wish they always were able to fear me and keep all my commandments. We'll get to this in a few weeks. Some of you might remember this encounter Jesus has with the centurion. Remember the centurion soldier? And he's got somebody at his house that's sick. And he says, hey, uh, he actually sends some people. Can you get Jesus to to uh, say something, to, to come and heal my friend. And, and then Jesus starts coming, and he's met by the centurion soldier. He said, okay, you don't need to come. You say it happens, right? And then he says, look, I'm a person under authority. So when I say stuff, I assume it happens. And when somebody says something to me that's above me, well, then I, they just assume I'm going to do it. I hear and do. So if you say something, then it is going to happen. I trust it. You remember what Jesus said? I never met anybody like this. I never met anybody who actually believes in hearing and doing. And, he, and it says he marveled at him, and he looks at all the religious people, and he says, I never met anybody like this. What if you imagine if you're in church? And he says, I never met anybody who actually heard and did what I said. That's what he says. He's amazed by it. He's amazed by it. And so my question for us for the next several months as we stare at Jesus in Luke chapter 4 and then beyond, to think, you know what? Jesus is staring at you. We're going to stare at him and hope to be changed, but I want you to know he's staring back at you. And, and do you have a... I hope that over the time you'll have some sense... Of God saying, insert your name, Paul, hear this today. Do it. It'll be all the way through the series. I hope you just hear the voice of the Lord from the text say, okay, this, was, this is what you needed to hear. Now you need to go do it. You know it. Go and do this. And my question for me and for you is, are we ready to be obedient? Are we ready to hear and do? Now, now, don't answer too quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on the team. Because when we get to Luke chapter 6, just in this chapter alone, we're going to have to learn how to forgive our enemies. Uh, uh, okay, hearing and doing. Uh, what else? Uh, can we get to another thing? Yeah, don't judge other people. Okay, uh, how about something else? How to deal with your wealth. Oh, my gosh, this is chapter 6. I'm going to miss this whole series right now. Right? So you, you don't want to say, I'm all in for hearing and doing, but I don't really want to love my enemies. I don't want to give up my, my judgmental attitude for other people. 
I don't want to have to think about my wealth in terms of the Lord. Well, then you're not hearing and doing. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is sitting there looking at you saying, I'm marveling. You're not doing it. Put the, the but I, B-I-D-D-I on your bracelet. I hear, but I don't do it. So you want to just step back and just ask yourself, am I really ready to hear and do? Doing is difficult. That's why, point number three, we need a mediator. Let's read chapter 5, verse 22. These words the Lord had spoken. These are the Ten Commandments. He just finished those in verse 21, chapter 5. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain of the midst, in the midst of the fire and the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he wrote it on these two, stab, two uh, stone tablets. So God has just finished saying something. And then verse 24, and you said, this is the congregation responding to the Lord's voice, voice Behold, the Lord your God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God, we have seen God speak with man, and we're still alive. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. I mean, what is, what, why is this? We've just heard the voice of the Lord, and hear what we think. We're going to die. We're going to get consumed by fire. Why is that? Well, they're completely overwhelmed by the greatness and holiness of God. And they know themselves. So at least they, at this point, they know themselves. I cannot somehow keep up with the holiness of God. I can't. I hear these ten things. I, I really want to do them. But I just know. I just know my heart. I know I can't keep up. I'm going to be in trouble. God sees this healthy fear, verse 29. And like I said before, oh, if they just were able to keep this fear of God, if they could just have this awe of God instead of being in awe of themselves or in awe of something else and then following after them, if you could sort of somehow have the awe of God in your brain, then all the other things that are attractive to you would, would fade away. One of the podcasts I was listening to this week and you could agree or disagree but just caused me to think about this the podcaster said the holiness of God the awe of God the fear of God rests lightly on the church and doesn't rest at all on the culture and he said because we're all built to be worshipers which I believe we are there will be a replacement for all. We're built to feel all like, wow, that's powerful. That's something that's attractive. That's something that's shaping me. And he says, he believes that that in our culture has been uh, supplanted. The awe of God has been supplanted by celebrity culture. Now, again, you can agree or disagree, but he goes on to say, here's what happens is you lose the awe of God and something has to come in and take its place or someone has to come in and take its place. And if you're in the secular world where you don't think of God as an option, it's celebrity culture. And that could, of course, be Hollywood. It could be uh, a so in social media. They have these things that are called, and this is a painful term just to even say it out loud, 
influencers. Oh, I'm sorry I said it. These people who are influencers. I'm in awe of this person who's on my Instagram feed. I don't have the awe of God, so I've got to have a substitute. Maybe your substitute is a politician's. When there is no religion in a country, politics becomes the religion. And the politicians understand that. And you and I, have to, we have to be discerning of what we watch and how it's affecting us. As I was just thinking about this this week, you could think about the, um, the speech that Barack Obama gave, I think it was in 2008, his acceptance speech for the Democratic nomination. It's out in his big auditorium, as a stadium. Remember the backdrop was? A Greek temple. So just, see, th- these things don't happen by accident. This isn't like, I don't know, put some columns up that look like a Greek temple. No. The Greek temple is where the gods live. And when he steps out on stage, it's choreographed. It's choreographed to reach a culture that's hungry for all. Remember when Donald Trump made his announcement? He's at the Trump Towers. Melania in a perfectly clean white suit. Like an angel, she descends from the staircase, and Donald comes right behind her. I'm coming down to fix your problems. See, it doesn't matter if it's a, you're a D or an R. It, it doesn't mean like, Melani, wear whatever you want. Let's just go down the escalator. No, no, it's all carefully choreographed for a culture who's looking for all. I'm hungry for somebody like Barack Obama who believes and does and thinks the thing that I want. Or I'm hungry for a powerful person like Donald Trump who believes in finally will get the country on the right track. And we're just hungry for that. And so we step into that. Maybe that's you. You really lost your awe of the Lord. So it's your substitute becomes politics. And I want you to know you can have a celebrity culture inside of a church. There's a whole ecosystem of celebrity pastors. And if you haven't listened to the Mars Hill podcast uh, about what happened in Seattle, it's worth your time to think about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. It's really about a celebrity pastor. And not just one, but just the culture that in, wants that to happen. I'm really not in awe of the Lord, but I want to be in awe of somebody I can touch, so I'm going to attach that. So you can say, well, I'm not in the social media thing. I'm not in the politics thing, but it could still be inside the church. There's a great danger. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Israelites have a healthy awe of God, and they know we need a mediator. And they ask, notice this in in chapter 5, verse 27, now, okay, we, we feel like we're going to be consumed. So Moses, verse 27, hey, you go near. <laughs> How would you like that? I mean, I think we're going to be consumed by fire. So uh, Moses, you go, you go up. You be the person who stands between God and us. And then you hear and tell us and we'll do whatever you say. That's the idea. And God comes to Moses and says, you know, they're right. They do need a mediator. Moses, you stand by me. You stand at my right hand. 
We know Moses is just a shadow of another better mediator between God and mankind because everyone needs a mediator. Moses is a shadow. He's not perfect. He doesn't actually enter the promised land. But we have a perfect mediator. We don't have somebody who's going to just stand near God. We have somebody who actually is God. And we're going to see from Luke 4 and beyond, he keeps the law perfectly. And then he redeems us. He gives us his perfected life for ours because of his love. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom, a payment for everyone. And why did Jesus give himself as a ransom? Why did Jesus give himself as a ransom? This is the first order of operation. For God so loved that he gave. See, if you don't have that, but somehow you get in the mix, you're going to gum up your relationship with God. For God so loved the world, me, you, just as we are, not as we should be, that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. The right order of operations is the love of God. That's just got to be something you got to have down. Then because of that, then you are obedient to the, the commands of God. Be, not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. I dare you to believe. I dare you to believe that God loves you just as you are. not as you should be. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. It's a great, necessary, critical gift for me, for all of us here as we go through this series. We want to be people who are built to last. We want our faith to withstand the flood that comes against us. And that requires us hearing and doing. So would you help all of us here to hear and then to say with a conviction and a courage and friendship and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to do this. We're going to live this way for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song.